The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus said to Judas, not Iscariot, If a man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, over the last few weeks, we have heard from the words of Jesus and his apostles how our spiritual senses need to be rewired so that we are made able to hear and to see the unveiling of Jesus Christ in this world. And over the last few weeks, we've also seen that the church's liturgy is to be the spirit-designed response to that recognition, that we are able to hear Christ as the spirit works within us in the reading of the word that just took place in the community of God's people. And we are able to see Christ for who he is as we commune with him at the table of our wedding feast. I hope you've been able to track the deepening richness of what is ours in Christ through this. First, we have the veil removed so that we might see him. Then we have our ears open so we might hear his word to us and respond. And then we eat with him at his table. And as Father George so adequately and beautifully put it, that we are celebrating even tonight this divine marriage that has been given to us. And tonight we hear him speak some of the deepest words of comfort on offer in the New Testament. We hear him say to the apostles that he and his father will come and make their home with the one who loves Jesus and keeps his word. We hear that he offers peace, not as the world gives, but a deep and lasting peace, and that he will send the spirit, the comforter, the advocate, who will teach his apostles all things and bring to mind all that Christ has said to them. And in many ways, I think that this short text serves as a fulfillment for all of Scripture, all that Scripture has been pointing toward. Because in the beginning, God fashioned a garden in which he would dwell with his creatures, a garden we were made to abandon due to our rebellion. Centuries later, as Israel is led out of slavery and into the land of promise, it is a garden-like land that God fashioned for his people. And the Lord dwells in their midst in the tabernacle. The cloud of his presence is the center of their life. And in the days of Solomon, this presence cloud enters the temple, and God again dwells in the midst of his people. 
As God's people are exiled in Babylon, Ezekiel is given a vision of the cloud of God's glory, his presence rising up and leaving the temple and moving to the east. This itself is a symbol of the judgment God's people are undergoing. God has abandoned his habitation. But it's also a symbol of mercy because God is following his people into the exile as they are carted off into the Babylonian east. He will not abandon them even as he chastises them. This same cloud of glory overshadows Mary, much like the Spirit hovered over the waters of creation, and God makes his home in Mary's womb. The cloud returns when the God-man, Jesus Christ, is transfigured on Mount Tabor in the presence of some of his disciples, and immediately Peter says, let's set up house. And now this same Jesus is telling his followers that his dwelling place will be within them that he and his father will make their home with those who love him and keep his word. This is what the whole storyline of God's work in the world has been pointing toward from the very beginning. And which of our other gods could make such an offer? None of them. Whether it's the gods of primitive religion or the gods of modern society, there is nothing else that could make such an offer to us that they would come and dwell within us in love. As the literary genius David Foster Wallace said, pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel that you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. He goes on to say that this is a form of unconsciousness, the default setting, the rat race, the constant gnawing sense of having had and lost some infinite thing. The constant gnawing sense of having had and lost some infinite thing. Do you see that anything else that we choose to worship will end up eating us alive rather than setting up home. Christ here is offering to return to us that infinite something, to give to us his very self. Now, if you're anything like me, you're thinking, yeah, so sometimes I feel his peace, And sometimes I sense his presence, but honestly, how do I know if I've kept his word enough? If I've loved enough? I mean, if my interior life is a home, it's a rather chaotic one filled with competing desires and doubts and fears and loves. It would be so easy to rip verses like this out of scripture 
and pin it on our Pinterest board next to, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and then slap some beach sunset stock photo background and just think, man, we've really arrived. We have peace. Jesus makes his home within me. Isn't this great? But we mustn't forget that the men that Jesus is speaking to, all of them, within a few hours of him saying this, are going to abandon him. Some of them will deny him. All of them will fail to keep his word. They will all fail to love him as he is arrested and tortured. These are the men to whom Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom, the power to forgive sins. Men not altogether different from you and me, filled with a dizzying mix of love and fear, exhaustion and passion. These 11 men, and eventually the 12th, that replaces Judas the traitor, are like the 12 heads of the tribes of Israel, the renewed Israel, the church that they are going to be apostles over. And this is where we have to recapture the hyperlink sensitivity of Scripture. Because every little thing that's happening here is like a Wikipedia link to a whole other set of articles that just keeps on going and going and going, right? So, let's not lose sight of the fact that Jesus has said he's going to come and make his home with us and that this is not only the deepest human desire that God has implanted, but also the entire storyline of Scripture. But the people that he's telling this to are going to comprise the leadership of the church, which is this renewed Israel. And this image of the church as renewed Israel is an important one. And largely it's important in big theological terms having to do with covenants and relationships to Yahweh, the God of Israel, or as he's sometimes called in the Torah, the teachings of Moses, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now we've got to have our hyperlink breaks on, uh, lights on, because Jacob, if you'll remember, undergoes a name change. Do you remember this? Jacob had been running from his brother, whom he had cheated out of his rightful blessing. And after two decades of being on the run, he is now on his way to attempt to make peace with his brother, who is bigger and hairier and stronger than he is. And he's very scared. And as he approaches, we're told that he sends across the river his wives and his children and his servants and all of his possessions on ahead of him. And then he camps for the night alone. And this is what we're told. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man said to him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. 
The name Israel means to wrestle with God. And I think that it would serve us well to remember this when we sense the discontinuity of our lives with the words of Jesus. After all, not only did the men Jesus was talking to abandon him, and he took them back, but after returning and being given the gift of the Spirit, as they midwife the church into existence, almost all of them are persecuted, tortured, and martyred. And so on either side of this, what seems like a chasm to us, right? How could these be the same people? If you're the sort of person who's like, I honestly don't know if I've really kept his word or loved him enough for him to come and dwell with me, his answer is, always, I am knocking at the door. I am ready to enter. You don't have to do the pre-clean for the cleaning service to come. He's here to do the work. Or if you're over here and you feel like, man, I have really sold out my life to follow him, and yet I have just been met with whatever might pass for a 21st century American version of persecution. I want to be really clear, right? Most of us are not being persecuted like our brothers and sisters around the world. But there's a chance that your dedication to Christ has cost you something. In both cases, Jesus says to you the same thing. He loves you, and he gives you his peace. And his peace is such that it will come from outside of this world as it remakes everything. And at some point, when we will see him and become like him, for we will see him as he is, there will be no more sorrow, no more pain. To have God dwell with us, to be given his peace and to be given the spirit as an advocate and guide is to be given life, fresh water, in a dry desert, a sunrise after a dark night. But it does not mean a life of whatever passes for American success at the moment. It does not mean a life without struggle. As one of the rabbis considered Israel's wrestling with God, he said, to struggle is to embrace. We must take care to understand that Christ's offer to take up residence in our hearts is not simply an offer of solidarity, though he does make himself as one of us. It is also an expression of his kingship, that he will come in and renovate as he sees fit. It's no longer just our project. We are working in concert with him. This is the gospel, not some whitewash hashtag blessed that requires us to exclude so much of ourselves from the Instagram post. The gospel is that God enters our path as it is, where we are. He comes into our story of anxiousness and duplicity and conflicting desires, and he wrestles us and embraces us so that we can begin to experience his peace and be remade by his love. This is the paradox of the Christian life. We must struggle with him in order to enter his rest and find his peace. We must work to lay down our doing and receive his mercy, and we must fight against the shame that commands us to keep our door barred against our holy housemate. The beautiful paradox of Christianity is that we have a God unlike any other because he is a God who will embrace us 
But more often than not, his embrace will cause us to limp through this world. A reminder of the infinite embrace toward which we journey, that this world is not all that there is. So people that are being remade for a new heaven and a new earth are going to walk in this space with a limp. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and just opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. This evening, if you have been kind of leaning your shoulder up against that door, just sit down. Sit down. Jesus will come and he will bring his spirit and he is going to feed you at his altar. And if you will just rest, he can take care of the cleanup. He knows. He knows what the, what the back closet looks like. He knows what the kitchen looks like. He knows what's in that little drain thing in the kitchen sink, okay? Let go of the door. Allow love to enter and find peace, not because you're perfect, but because he will make you perfect. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.